Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk front of the cameras, we all hate each other. Behind the scenes, it's a business. Everything saying we're going into a revolution. We're in the revolution. Now the question is, who's going to win? We'll let them do. They know just how much latitude their department gives them on abusing citizens. They do it because they know they can. They do it because they know, they know they will get away with it. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Guerrilla Activism Radio. My name is Miguel. I'll be your co-host tonight alongside my buddy, Eric. Hey, what's up, Eric? How's it going, man? Hey, uh, what's up, man? How are you, Miguel? How's everything? Pretty, pretty good, pretty good. I'd like to introduce, uh, um, you know, who we'll, we will be having on the show a little bit later. I think I'll, I'll let you uh, do the introductions on that, if you'd like to. Sure. She's a uh, great friend, uh, community activist, uh, international, global activist, uh, Miss, uh, Ms. Sarah Flounders from uh, the International Action Center. She's actually the co-director. And she's also very involved in many other organizations and progressive movements, not only locally here in Jersey City, but throughout New York, throughout the United States, and internationally. She's been to many, many countries. She's a writer. She's a film producer. Uh, she's an activist. Um, she recently, just a month or two ago, came back from Pakistan. There was a huge anti-drone action there, and she'll fill us in on, on what uh, happened there. Uh, she's been everywhere from Gaza to Iraq uh, to Jersey City, fighting in the streets for the people. And she's also a, an organizing member of uh, UNAC, which is the uh, United National Anti-War Coalition. And she's also a member here locally of Jersey City Peace Movement. So we'll be talking with Sarah Flounders. You know, speak, speaking of Gaza, I'd like to give a quick shout out to... Uh a good friend of the show, Harry Fear, who's been um, in, in Palestine on the Gaza Strip for a couple of months now, I believe. And he's been reporting 
a lot of the um, damage that the Israeli military is putting on putting upon the Palestinian, uh, I guess, country. Um, you could, you want to call the, the 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 jail land that they've made this police state that they've made the, the Palestinian people live in. So uh, you know, while the Israeli people, uh, if you even want to call them that, remain on occupied Palestinian land. Um, individuals like Harry Fear and a number of other people will be there letting everyone know, doing independent independent reporting um, because God only knows the mainstream media will not even uh, speak about it or won't even mention the word Palestine or, that, or the fact that it's a country and there are actually people living upon this land that are called Palestinians. Um, so yeah, a quick shout out to Harry Fear. I hope he's okay and everything is, is uh, you know as best as it can be out there because we we all know the situation that's going on um, in that area right now. So absolutely, you know. he was a former guest on our show and a, and and a, and a great guest at that. And I know, as you said, Miguel, just recently he's he re-entered Gaza where where mm-hmm. he is right now. So we look forward to his reporting and all his his great work. And maybe we'll have him again on the show in the future for sure for sure i i've actually uh you know we've been keeping in touch so i want to uh as soon as he gets back uh to the u.s or even if you can somehow uh, communicate with us um from gaza that would be great also so you know I'll, I'll do my best to try to get that set up um great that would be perfect and sarah can also sarah flounders our guest today she can uh explain about all her experiences that she's had uh for sure. you know in gaza mm-hmm. that's right that's right and uh, so, yeah, just, you know, it's, it's, man, so every time we do these shows, there's so much to, to talk about. It's kind of hard to um, get it all in, um, you know, in, in the, the time that we have on the show. But um, well, one quick thing I'd like to mention about this past weekend, it's this really good, really cool event that was uh, held in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Uh, it was called the Sleep No More, uh, Sleep No More Tour. It seems like um, a couple of, Conscious rappers, uh, activist rappers, hip-hop artists, uh, graffiti artists, some, a, a number of ska bands performed, and uh, Professor Griff from uh, Public Enemy um, ha- did a speaking. He actually did a lecture, and there was a, a projection of the different subjects that he was speaking about while he was going through it. It was really cool. I got to hang out with Professor Griff and get his autograph, uh, speak to his wife, a bit. I got his uh, opinions on Occupy Wall Street and and a number of other things that uh, we spoke about. Um, apparently, he thinks that Occupy Wall Street is a really really good thing, except for the fact that at the moment it looks to be on its way to being co-opted uh, by some political force. Um, the Democrats. Uh, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like, especially from our side over here. You know, we're we're right across the water, and we see. You know, we've been to these actions. We've been members of 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 these protests many, many times, and they've tried a million. They they tried to infiltrate uh, Occupy New Jersey, as as I think we've we've spoken about on the previous shows. You know, organizations like uh, um, what was that? Barack. Move on. Move on. Yeah, they 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 front the Barack Obama front group. Move on. dot org. Um, definitely trying to censor some of the things that we wanted to say, especially when it concerned the Democrats. And at times it looked like even Occupy Wall Street protests were, were more against the Republicans than it was the Democrats. During the, during the debates, 
um, I remember hearing many conversations about going to these Republican national conventions and and uh, Mitt Romney's house, and you know, I we actually went to to uh, 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 what was it somewhere in the Hamptons um, to protest uh, a, a, a dinner. I think it was like forty five thousand dollars a plate or some crazy some crazy shit like that. Like it was, you know, the, the elites were the elites were there. So we went to protest that, but I don't remember a conversation. I mean, I, I know a, a number of other occupiers definitely went to go protest the Democratic national conventions. But I don't remember in my own personal experience while I was while I was out there on the streets with them, I, I don't remember them really talking about uh, going to any democratic themed events or even organizing any. So I don't know. Well, but you're right. You're right. They they did try to to infiltrate Occupied Jersey City in particular with their you know their MoveOn.org and their oh isn't Barack Obama so wonderful rhetoric. Right. But you know we caught on to the people who are really savvy politically. We caught on to it and we. You know, we held them at bay, and, you know, eventually they fled. Um, you know, eh, our group is open to everyone until you start, you know, telling us to not talk about Palestine and to not talk about, you know, what other people feel about the official story of 9-11. And it, it was, it's an inclusive thing. And even in Occupy Wall Street, uh, there were times when you could feel kind of like this weird pressure from, from the Democratic machine, the Barack Obama. However, I have to give Occupy Wall Street some credit because they did come out with a very strong statement saying that they rejected the Democratic Party uh, right. when they were getting a little faulted you know, for, for too much influence. I guess Move On was sending a lot of people down to Zuccotti Park at the time. Hopefully, you know, I, I progress, Professor Griff is very observant, and uh, you know, I hope that once Occupy resurges, and I think there will be a resurgence, uh, I, I hope it's smart and, you know, smarter than, than how, what we were back in the day and, and, the orga- and the main organizers. I mean, I wasn't a main organizer, but, you know, I had contributed and supported and, you know, fended off any, any uh, detractors, certainly. But I, uh, but I hope that they come back, that they take very principled stances as they did initially, and they don't, they don't you know, bend over backwards to, you know, help the democratic machine. Right. And, and for the most part, I do believe that a lot of um, individuals who don't align themselves with the left, the left or the right um, exist within Occupy. And I think that was probably the most beautiful part of it, especially what, you know, what I consider a re-revival of the anarchist philosophy and the anarchist movement and the anarchist conversation of the philosophy i believe that it all happened during the occupy wall street protesters there were affinity groups and it goes on and on and uh you know i thought that was that was one of the best times of my life was being involved with that yes Um, absolutely another thing that professor griff a very interesting um which which is the majority of what he speaks about is the relevance of hip-hop to today and how the Illuminati or the the shadow puppet masters have twisted um, the you know what hip hop music is supposed to stand for and bent it to towards their goals of of of, of, a, of a conditioning of society, especially of children and especially of of, of people of, of black and brown you know black and you know African American Latino um, individuals just 
uh, you know, he goes he goes really deep. I, I, I don't want to do it an injustice by trying to repeat the way that he says it because he's the only one that can say it that way. But I can tell you that the book that I, I purchased off of him was very informative. Um, he was, you know, ha- you know, I was happy to ha- to have him sign it for me, and he's signed. You know, he 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 hung out with us. It was actually really cool. Um, it's it's great when you meet an individual like that, and he's so down to earth that he can sit there and hang out with you. So I thought that was a really really cool thing. Nice, and I, I think you said that you you'll try to get Professor Griff to be a guest on our show. Yeah, yeah. He gave me his number. He, he gave me his card. It has his phone number and his email address on it. I Good. initially asked him if, if I can email him, and he was like, man, I get like 60 emails a day, so if you try to email me, uh, it will probably just get lost somewhere in the email. So he was like, just just give me a call. Just call me. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll even call him during the show. Hey, just be like, hey, man, remember me? It's me. You know, Miguel. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember. Hey, guess what? You're on the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, yeah. he had- I'm glad he brought that up because, you know, I'm old enough to remember the the beginnings of, you know, hip hop and rap music, as it was called, rap music, and it was really about expressing the experiences of living in uh, underserved communities, you know, what people call the ghetto or whatever, and and, you know, mostly you know Latino and, and African American communities in particular, and and. You know, you had these great songs, you know, some of them were fun. Either they were more fun, like, you know, Rapper's, Revenge, or Rapper's Delight, or, or you had songs like, um, you the know, message. Don't Push Me, The Edge, you know, I'm close to the edge, I'm trying to... You That's know, the message. That's the, the message. message, right, right, exactly. And then they kind of co-opted, I mean, you know, what we call collectively the Illuminati, the people who control things, you know, and, and they turned it into this gangster rap and I mean you know this guns and thugs and drugs and, and, and it was something that to this day it still has tainted this music that was really uh, educating people about about the experiences and and the other part of it was was more fun just kind of you know uh, one one song was about playing basketball I forget who the rapper was he sang a song about basketball even Blondie did a song and they were, it was either fun or it was very political and they totally co-opted it and turned it into this ugly, you know, thuggish, weird thing. And that's not what African-American people are. That's not what African people are. They're not thugs and nasty and with these sneers and, you know, looking down at you. That isn't what they are. That is not. So it, it, I, 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 would, I would be very happy if he could come on the show and go, go into much more sophisticated depth than I ever could on, on, the, on that genre. And I, and I think it's important, and it needs to be said, that a lot of these um, quote-unquote rap artists are actors in, in disguise. Um, well, I, wouldn't say, I shouldn't say disguise because they're openly acting. You know, they, they, they get this persona given to them a lot of the time. Uh, the lyrics are written for them. The music is given to them. It's like, a, it's like, a, you know, like a Britney Spears. They, they come here, 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 just sing this, wear that, dance around, shake your ass, make us money and say whatever the hell we, we say, no matter, no matter what the lyrics um, are telling you, because a lot of the time people aren't even listening to what the hell these people are saying to them. And then, you know, it, an individual like yourself or, or me, we listen to the song, we're like, what? Like, you know, like that one song that, you know, Jesus can't save you, you know, that this is Jay-Z saying this. These are, these are, um, you know, a form of conditioning in my opinion. I, you know, it, 
I, I, I always revert back to that that uh, that aspect where if someone, uh, what is that saying? Repetition is the best way to. Uh, I forget. I'm drawing a blank. It, 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 there's a saying: if if you hear something over and over and over again, um, it's it's like the, the best way of learning something, or or to for, to have it embedded within you. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of it's well, kind of like a yeah. It's it's you know. So when you're you're, the you're hearing you're hearing you're, the same six seven songs on the radio every day. Oh, total you, you, brainwashing. The same right. thing. You don't you don't hear a commercial once and that's it. You hear it over and over and over and over. It's it's a subtle brainwashing, and I don't mean that even in a in a um, you know, uh, a, a lighthearted, you know, I'm just throwing that term away. I mean, literally, it is brainwashing. They're getting that message into your brain over and over and over again. So, right. you know, you have the same six, seven songs. Like you said, it, it's, you know, it's... Speaking about people. women, women, money, guns, cars. Women, yeah. money, guns, cars. Rich. I'm better than you, you know. And then, you know, it's it's that over and over and over and over again. So when these children are coming up listening to that, they think that's reality, that they need to strive to be that. You know, it, it, there's another quick saying that um, that I'm going to butcher again because I just forgot it for some reason. But it, it's, it's basically stating that that man is so poor. There's a saying that says, right, I just remembered it. There's a saying that goes, that man is so poor, all he has is money. Now, to a, a child who's been raised... Um, in, in an idiotic form where all you, all you do is chase money, cars, and, 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 and the riches, they won't understand that. Like, what do you mean? He's not poor. He has money. Like, yeah, you're, not, you, you, you're obviously lost if you think that only money can make a person rich. I thought of another, I mean, it has nothing to do with what you're saying, but I just thought of another, <laughs> I thought of another saying. Somebody said this to me one time, and, and initially it doesn't make sense, but then you really think about it, and it's like, wow, this is so true. Um, only uh, the only people who never have time are lazy people. Wow, look at that. Yeah. It does make sense. Yeah. You know, busy people are always finding time to, to fit something in somewhere, even a part of what they want to do. But, you know, only lazy people don't have the time. Well, you know, again, it, w- it was cool to meet uh, Professor Griff. There was a, you know, uh, the We Are Change Connecticut guys were there too. Jeff and Steve, uh, Rob, Rob, Rob and um, Danny Panzella from We Are Changed New York City were there. Um, you know, I, I, uh, architects and engineers from 9/11 Truth were there too, and so was Cop Block with their stop and frisk uh, informational pamphlets and DVDs that they were handing out, which is awesome too. So, um, all right, so let's see. I guess we're ready to have the the guest on the show. Absolutely. Sarah Flounders. I'll, I'll give a little background while I guess you can uh, call her. Yep. Um, as I mentioned before, Sarah Flounders, she's the co-director of the International Action Center. And it's an organization opposing the U.S. militarism, corporate globalization, racism, and war. AHC was initiated by the State's Attorney General, Clark, and it combines grassroots activism with mass mobilization and protest activities. Its educational work includes producing fact-finding sheets and press releases, publishing books, producing documentaries, videos, and maintaining a website. Uh, and it's uh, now in the one, uh, top 1% of all websites globally. And that's the iacenter.org. 
um, Sarah has been to, of course, United States, Canada, England, Japan, Greece, Cuba, Egypt, Jordan, Palestine, Iraq, all over the world globally, of course, right here in Jersey City as a member of Jersey City Peace Movement, as I mentioned before, and UNAC, United National Anti-War Coalition, the International Action Center. She's been interviewed on, most recently, on um, Russia Today, McNeil Lehrer News Hour, CNN, BBC. So without further ado, I'm uh, guessing that we have Sarah Flounders on the line. Hello, yes. Hi, Eric. Hi, Sarah. And who else is there with you? This is Miguel, Miguel Peralta. Oh, good. Hi, Miguel. Hello. Hi, Sarah. How's it going? Good. Very good. Cool. So I'm glad you could join us today, Sarah. Well, I've been looking forward to this discussion. Great. Wonderful. So, you know, we, we have the format for as long as you like and, um, you know, whatever we'd like to discuss, any upcoming activities. And, you know, I always like to start with our guests, uh, you know, giving the guests their chance to explain who they are, you know, where they come from, what, you know, what, what background they have and, you know, and what brought them into this uh, milieu, this, this gathering of people, like-minded people who just want, you know, imperialism and, and, and racism ended and, and just want the best for people. So if you'd like to explain a little bit about, about yourself and your education and, and uh, what brought you into the, uh, the anti-war and the peace and justice uh, movements. Well, uh, I should say it was decades ago, and uh, I guess I've been involved now about 40 years, so that's a long time, but it was really the power of the civil rights movement, uh, the very powerful movement of the 60s, uh, both against racism, uh, the struggles to desegregate, uh, and which were enormously powerful. I mean, millions of people were involved. The movement against the Vietnam War, again, millions of people were involved. The early women's movement, uh, the LGBT movement, and it's early, we're talking about the 1970s when there were huge movements of people in motion putting forth demands, and you could really feel the power of the grassroots movement to make changes to put issues on the agenda, to refuse to accept unacceptable um, crimes that were committed. And so the demands for social justice and against war were so linked together in that period, and it had a lifelong impact on me. I stayed active over the years on many uh, struggles uh, and, and newer uh, struggles of, of today. Uh, we're just getting out of a meeting here um, for May 1st, which is really a day when across the country, you know, hundreds of thousands, largely immigrant workers, come out demanding full legalization. It's a day to put forth workers' demands uh, at a time when, when workers are under unprecedented attacks or schools, hospitals, everything is being shut down and privatized. So it's a very important day, um, and of course here in New York every year gathering at, at Union Square, thousands of people come out, uh, and there's a big march down, down Broadway starting at, at, at 5 o'clock every year. Uh, so, you know, that's sort of the newest thing on the agenda right now, but I've been involved that, in many struggles. 
That's that's uh, Wednesday, May first, May Day, and and that's a good example of a struggle that has reverberated around the world, and where traditionally uh, workers have come out to put forth their demands, uh, and and that's that's important in its 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 own right, but especially in a year like this where we're being told on every hand uh, that cutbacks, austerity. It's the only thing on the agenda. So those who refuse to go along with that, uh, this year it's being linked with the struggles against the stop and frisk and the police attacks and routine arrests. Uh, so that's also very much, uh, you know, a struggle where people come together, large coalitions of people uh, from different communities. And, and just to say, Miguel and Eric, both of you are, are really such an example of that in Jersey City, always in the thick of um, this, the struggles of other people also active with their demands. How to pull some of these things together and give voice is strange. I also I remember last year's uh, May 1st um, uh, March, and I think it set a record for the amount of people that showed up. I remember there was thousands and thousands of people. The streets looked like they would, they were, you know, covered in a carpet of people um, as they marched down Broadway. It was, it was actually very beautiful to see and be a part of. It was really, I think it was the largest um, May Day, especially in New York, since 2006. And that was a year when, when literally millions of immigrant workers, undocumented workers, those who are the most difficult to raise their voice because their status isn't legal, uh, came out in the millions. Uh, mm. Literally, that year, the, the ports on the West Coast and truckers and restaurants, and it was literally a, what, what was called was a, a general strike of immigrant workers, and it did very much turn out that way. Now, last year, it was joined with new energy coming from the Occupy uh, movement. And Mm -hmm. so every year it's it's different. It happens every year. um, And and Union Square is is at 14th Street in Manhattan is where people gather. Uh, But that's one of demonstrations that happen across the country and around the world. Uh, Now, Sarah, Sarah, speaking mm -hmm? about around the world, across the world, and we all will be partaking in May Day in some, you know, shape or form, of course, um, whether we go to Union City or wherever we are, we, you know, we celebrate the worker globally. Um, you've been all over the world. You've been to Gaza. Uh, you've been to, obviously, New York, uh, you know, all across the United States. You've been to, you know, uh, England and Iraq. And uh, what are some of the other places that you might? I know recently you, you were in Pakistan. And I'm right. just wondering, maybe you could explain to the listeners um, the difficulties or maybe, you know, the misconceptions of how difficult it might be to travel or, or communicate in these uh, places around the globe. Um, so what other places have you been to? And um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your your um, recent um, excursion to, to Pakistan against uh, the, the American drones. 
Yeah, I'd like to. Actually, that would be great. Let me explain a little bit about the trip to Pakistan and also remind me, I, I do want to touch on uh, being in Gaza under complete siege and lockdown. Uh, the trip to Pakistan was to call for the repatriation of a Pakistani woman who was held here in U.S. prison. Uh, her name is Dr. Afia Siddiqui. And in Pakistan, this is a deeply felt issue because as the U.S. government itself admits, they kidnapped around the world thousands and thousands of people. They had a program called Secret Rendition. Not only in Guantanamo were hundreds and hundreds of prisoners brought on whom they had no information at all, but there were uh, hundreds of secret prison set up around the world, thousands of people were kidnapped in what was called the war on terror, and many of them with no information at all. Uh, Afia Siddiqui was a Pakistani woman who had studied in the U.S., brilliant doctor, uh, graduate of Brandeis and MIT, uh, studying uh, a child psychology, how children learn. And she had three children, and uh, was with them when uh, she was picked up in Pakistan and disappeared. Uh, and that's really how secret renditions by the U.S. happen. People are simply picked up and they disappear. Mm, um, wow. She, she was not heard from for five years, uh, despite every effort of, of her parents and family. Um, quite a number of her family studied here in the U.S. And so the, the call across Pakistan was for her release because it was like an open secret that the U.S. was holding her and Pakistani officials had even admitted that they had turned her over to the U.S. Um, she finally came to light in Afghanistan when, when prisoners were there where she was being held in Afghan prison in Bagram. Uh, that was... Uh, five years ago, and then she was brought here to the U.S. to be tried on the charge that she had shot at U.S. soldiers. Uh, wow. In, in an incident where actually no one was injured except she herself. There was no evidence that even a, a gun had been fired except for the bullets in her. Mm-hmm. Um, at any rate, even though this was something where no one was injured except she herself, um, she was sentenced, and there was no bullets, no, no fingerprints, nothing that could be found. She was sentenced to 86 years in U.S. prison, federal prison. 86 years? 86 years. Oh, my God. And um, later, two of her three children were actually returned to the family after being held five years and a little girl seven years, speaking only English. So you can figure where they were. Um, now, did she actually shoot at, at the... Did, did, she actually shoot at the did, did she actually really shoot at the uh, soldiers? or did, was No, no. Uh, she maintains that she had been held for five years by the U.S. in a secret detention center. Mm-hmm. And she would call out again and again at her trial that she had been tortured. Wow. The trial was right here in New York City. I attended it and uh, and that was actually why I was invited to Pakistan with 
Cynthia McKinnon because I had really this was a fraud and a frame up for the whole trial and her sentencing. She wasn't even allowed to speak at her trial, had appointed attorneys and so on. I, I don't want to go into all of that, but I want to say mm-hmm. that it's such a clear example of how things are carried and perceived totally differently here than in another country. In Pakistan, who, who here in the U.S. knows of the name even Dr. Asya Sahiki, or that she was held, she was sentenced to 86 years, that she was imprisoned, that she was tortured. No one, no one in the U.S. knows this, a handful. But in Pakistan, she's absolutely a household name. Tens of thousands of people came out in huge rallies day after day during our trip there because we were part of a campaign to call on the U.S. to repatriate her to Pakistan, return her to Pakistan. The Pakistani citizen, she was not arrested in the U.S. It's supposedly a crime that, assuming it even happened, which did not take place in the U.S., why on earth was she brought here for trial and imprisonment? So this call in Pakistan has taken on huge fervor. Uh, and people all across the country, you see signs, you see spray paintings, you see posters everywhere, even on highway overpasses, on the walls, um, free Afia. That's uh, spelled A-A-S-I-A. So you see these signs everywhere, free Afia. Um, and so... In, in Karachi, I mean, even when our plane landed and we come out of the airport at, at, at 5 in the morning, there's hundreds of people to greet us. We were shocked. There was a rally that day in Karachi with just tens of thousands of people. Did you see that they were there to greet us? You see that they were there to greet us? To greet us were hundreds of people. We, we were shocked. We sort of stumbled off the plane, you know. But that day, there was a rally in Karachi. Um, and there was a rally in, in Karachi, and that was really tens of thousands of people. Uh, we then traveled to Islamabad, to Lahore, to Peshawar, and every place in all was supposed to free Afia Siddiqui, to repatriate her, to return this kidnapped woman to her home in Pakistan. Uh, and also the other issue that had equal fervor, anger feeling was the everyday drone attacks from the U.S. that are bombing villages in Pakistan every single day. I mean, we all know how we felt about the Boston Marathon bombing, but this, the U.S. is carrying out every single day a different bombing in a village against the home in Pakistan, a country mm. they're not even supposedly at war with. Right. But Drone attacks are a daily occurrence. Mm. Did you get to so, see any of the, the aftermath of these uh, horrific attacks, these drone attacks? No, this is sort of like a no-go uh, area. We were close. We were in Peshawar, the place of city that there was access to. Um, Pakistan, I mean, there is a, a U.S.-supported military that has enormous power. It armed and financed and paid off. Um, by the U.S. for decades, very corrupt 
uh, military establishment, but it does show how even in the even with all the strength the military has, you know, the grassroots movement is also a power. It's its own force, and this is true around the world. People without guns, without arms, with their, only their own voices and courage, come out in force and make issues resonate. And so the anger in Pakistan about these drones, uh, you know, like like the anger that was so clear in Iraq where we were assured that U.S. soldiers would be treated as liberators. That didn't happen at all. Um, didn't happen at all. And, and in Afghanistan, where again we were told everyone would consider the U.S. liberators, that's not how it was perceived at all. And uh, very true today, when you see the mood in Pakistan, a country where formerly the, the feelings toward the U.S. were overwhelmingly more favorable or positive than they are today. But today, just as an example on, on Akia Siddiqui, on the call for her release, from right to left, from religious to secular parties, uh, Every single organization has joined in the call for her return. One woman kidnapped by the U.S. because she symbolizes the thousands who were kidnapped and disappeared, and now those who were the victims of the drone attacks. So sometimes one person can be a symbol of a collective injustice. Now let me ask you a quick yeah. Let me ask, let me ask you a quick question. I had mm-hmm. um, I, I keep hearing that. Uh, the people in areas like uh, Pakistan or Afghanistan, um, they generally like the American people. And it, within all the anger that they have for America, they are, they are able to dif- differentiate between their hatred for the American government and the love for the American people. Is that true? Did you ever have any, any um, individuals who, from Pakistan actually tell you, like, I, I, you know, we have no problem with Americans. We just hate your government with a passion. We want to, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, it's so important in these countries for people to hear and feel that there's a movement in the U.S. that opposes endless U.S. wars that come from the Pentagon. It, it, it is meant and met with such... Uh, a powerful uh, feeling of of uh, people being glad to hear that there's opposition right here in the U.S. to these policies, and also who see that the working people here in the U.S. know that the wars come home. As Dr. Martin Luther King said 40 years ago about Vietnam, that the bombs that fall in Vietnam fall on our cities. They lead to destruction here. They, they lead to cutbacks. The enormous cost of the war is taken right out of the programs we need here. And when you say that in another country, then it, it creates real empathy and solidarity for people to see that there are voices here that are challenging the government here that operates in the, in the interest of corporations, in the interest of maximizing corporate profit, not maximizing health care or education for our children, that is willing to cut back at every step. But they always want to guarantee, bail out the banks, not the people. 
and explaining that in another part of the world and showing opposition to U.S. policy meets with really heartfelt um, support. I've never felt endangered or threatened. Uh, so that's going to be my next question. Big rallies are on the street. That was going to be my next question on whether or not you felt threatened or, or in danger at any time while you were in, in any of those areas. Not at all. Not at all. There's, there's, uh, as a matter of fact, in, in one sense, because we've spoken at these rallies when in the news, we're talking to the media, um, sort of quickly become known there. And uh, so being a voice speaking out against the policies here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I traveled with Cynthia McKinney, who's also known as a former congresswoman, six-term congresswoman. A uh, very uh, courageous African American woman who stood up to U.S. war in Libya, who stood up on questions of Palestine and, and the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. So she's also very much known uh, as someone who has spoken out and been part of the movement here. Now, Sarah, let me ask you um, something. You know, I noticed that there's a mild backlash but very mild, against drones. But only now that they've admitted that they're going to start using drones to surveil and to, you know, to, I don't know, take care, take out people maybe here on United States soil. So I know a few uh, counties and, and, and municipalities have passed resolutions against drones. It doesn't really hold much weight. It's more symbolic. But why do you think there's not much um, anger of the American people. Do you think, as I do, as I do, had this been George W. Bush droning countries, I think there would be, you know, a very vibrant, I mean, of course the IAC and, and other very serious principled organizations have kept the anti-war movement aggressively, aggressively alive. But, you know, with, with the collusion of the Democratic Party mainly, of course, Republicans didn't care most of the time anyway. The, the, the anti-war movement kind of faded. You know, we had the, the resur- as you mentioned, the resurgence or the, or the uprising of the Occupy movement. Um, and, and that was so strong that they had to beat it and pepper spray and taser it into submission. And it's now gone into a different form. You know, they've cleared out Zuccotti Park. But why do you feel that there's not much of an anger, especially from the Democratic Party, uh, of these drone attacks, just you know, we're, we're just droning Yemen and, and, and Somalia and Pakistan. And um, do you think it's because of our our current president, you know, Barack Obama, being you know so fantastic looking and you know charming and a winning smile and you know and because being uh, you know African American, that's sort of like a hands off. We can't. Uh, people are afraid to to critique him for that reason is I don't understand why if this were George Bush I think we'd have marches in the street every every other month um, so what it really every other day yeah every other day yeah. what, so what, what what you know no, what very the, very good very good point uh, very good um, and I think very much it's the clearest example that regardless of who is president and regardless of whether it's Republican or Democrat in office, the real decisions are made 
at the corporate boardroom level in the Pentagon and it, uh, those same institutions are the decisive, the deciding institutions, regardless of who is president. The election of a black president in the U.S. is a historic accomplishment. Important. Absolutely. But it doesn't change who really rules in the U.S. and what policies are carried out. It's, it's what? different face on it, but in truth, and, and the problem, and it is really a problem because it has enormous influence in the union movement and in all different movements. When it's a Democrat in office, then the, the whole movement gets tamped down. Even if it's outrageous cuts, even if it's wars that have no justification whatsoever. Uh, and we, we shouldn't forget this or let Republican or Democratic presidents off the hook. Now, with the drones, I think it's also the closer silence by the Democrats. It's not well known. I mean, if you ask the average person, even what was a drone, then they, okay, they might picture a surveillance camera, but they don't picture one of these what are called predator drones and reapers, and they have horrendous names even, uh, that, that circle endlessly. Like in, in Pakistan, the whole Uzaristan and northern provinces and whatnot, this is every day, all hours of the day, and it creates trauma, real psychological damage, even for children, for, for many people. Children aren't going to school. There aren't family gatherings, weddings, parties because anywhere people gather, a drone like it. Uh, because, you know, somebody sitting in front of a TV screen at a Syracuse uh, at a base has no way of knowing if that gathering is a military gathering or, as said, a, a, a wedding or a party or, a, a, you know, until they fire a missile. Wow. Uh, it, it could be a farmer plowing his field. Well, they... Somebody looking at it from the screen on the other side of the world might say, oh, maybe he's planning a mine. They send a missile. Um, so it's, it's such a daily occurrence. And uh, when I was in Pakistan, the, the pictures in the news every single day were, uh, let's say, a whole row of children in a village that was hit. You know, their, their small bodies laid on the ground, each wrapped in a beautiful all or cloth um, of, of women who had been killed. Overwhelmingly, the victims are civilians of whom nothing is known by the person firing the drone. So it's cost-free to, you would say, U.S. soldiers. Nobody seems to be uh, dying from each side of the U.S. So it seems like a very attractive alternative. Do, do you um, believe that? Do, do you think that the American people have lost touch, you know, with the rest of the world to the point where, you know, children can can die in in our country, like one or two kids, and you know, the whole entire country is is in mourning, but you know, fifteen or sixteen kids could die daily by explosions, fire, uh, famine, and it seems like the American people could care less. Do, do you think that? they lost 
touch with their own humanity in a way to the point where they only give, you know, they only give any thought to, to themselves. Like they've been, you know, they've, they've lost their way, you know, in a certain extent. Very, very much so. And, and some of that is the role of the media that never puts it in human terms. They don't even explain these wars are going on. Uh, I mean, consider, and this has happened, this is something that's happened under President Obama. There now are U.S. troops in 35 countries in Africa. What's that about? It's, it's securing natural resources. It's like a new form of colonialism. It's right. not about liberating people. But that isn't explained here. So the consequences are not explained here in a way that would help people to care. It's part of the importance of alternative media. It's part of the importance of your program. It's why you organize it. It's why I, I would speak on it. Uh, it's because unless people do have a chance to hear, it's part of the importance of the Internet. Um, right. And we shouldn't miscalculate the importance of this. Uh, for, just think about it because people do learn and Overwhelmingly, despite media, which is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the time, will justify U.S. wars, the idea of a new war on Iran or any country that's being targeted, they do a poll, and time and again, the majority of the population is against another war. Even though they're being given excuses on who they should hate around the world and what's up, that's important. It means everybody doesn't buy the propaganda, even when they don't have effective alternative means of communication, of information. And I think that's significant. We should take a certain heart from that, that not everyone is buying into the lies, even if they don't have correct or alternative information. No, you, you make you make you make a very good point that you know the majority of the people are definitely against these wars and more people dying. Well, why do why do you think that they've they're, they're so willing to accept you know this this uh, you know the the way that the government carries out certain certain um, situations even within the Middle East or even like you just uh, told us about you know the things that are going on in Africa that that is true we. We uh, we have invaded Africa, and we are taking land and resources and a lot of the the riches of that continent away from its own people. But, but you know, uh, if if you go if you walk up to a, a regular person on the street and tell them what is going on in these areas, they're going to be like, "Wow, we need to get out. We need to, you know, stop this. This is atrocious. Why is this happening? This is horrible." Yet, once the troops start getting sent out, it seems like everyone you know begins to get complacent again and just doesn't. You know, they, they they don't seem willing to go the extra mile to actually stop these things from happening to these poor people. What, well, do you it's, think part they, of our, it's part of our responsibility to make it more real mm-hmm. and to explain the consequences because all that's conveyed in the news here is, well, the troops have returned from, there aren't troops in Iraq right now. The troops got withdrawn. I mean, really, this was a total absolute failure of U.S. strategic policy, their policy to attempt to dominate that country. It went down in a howling disaster. Uh, There was no military that they could train that they trusted for even a hot minute, and they couldn't even impose on a parliament 
that they created, U.S. policies created and vetted who would run, and yet they, that same practically appointed, I mean, this voting was a formality, Congress refused to accept what's called a status of forces agreement, which means that any U.S. soldier can never be tried in Iraq, regardless of who they killed or raped or, or you know. Um, and this Iraqi parliament refused to go along with that and demanded U.S. troops out. So they, they couldn't even find collaborators who would go along with them. And that's what's happening now in countries increasingly that, uh, and, and you can see it very powerfully in Latin America, where mm-hmm. based on a powerful movement coming from below, at, which was very much reflected in, in Hugo Chavez, it was reflected in Bolivia and Ecuador, um, and, and throughout Latin America, a number of countries standing up and saying, we're not in the backyard. They refuse this level of domination and control. Uh, so it, it really, powerful movements are what changes history. It's what led to an end to British and French and Belgian colonialism of Africa and Asia. Um, the movement, the people themselves standing up. And U.S. wars were really an effort to recolonize and control the resources of the whole region. And it met very strong resistance. Now, the drone wars are this fantasy of the generals that they can, just by blanketing, you could say, the globe and constantly firing at anything that they think could be a threat, um, that they can change history, that they can control the destiny of these countries. But if a million soldiers, and that's how many served in Iraq over those 10 years times, 1.1 million, couldn't determine things in Iraq and it's been a spectacular failure in Afghanistan, they're not likely to really succeed with firing drones and doing more than mounting more rage among the people than fear. More... Mm a feeling against um, U.S. domination. And and that's why it's important for people here to stand up with and identify with what people are demanding around the world of U.S. South and know that we're, we're stronger here when we also exert through movements from below, um, you know, when we're able to push back this government that's only interested in war that's interested in expanding the military budget and cutting everything else because war is profitable. Super profits come from these subsidized military institutions, huge weapons systems, now so much of it going into high tech. Let me just give you an example here in New York City. Mm. Bloomberg put forth <clears throat> a program to shut one of the most essential and largest uh, public long-term care hospital is called Goldwater Hospital on Roosevelt Island in New York, in the East River. His plan was to shut that hospital and turn this big piece of real estate on the southern tip of Roosevelt Island in New York City over to the Israeli Institute of Technology 
to wow. it's, it's like an engineering uh, school. Um, it's called Technion, Israeli Institute of Technology. So it's being turned over to Technion in an alliance with Cornell, built like a high-tech weapons lab, a campus for high-tech engineering and weapons. And they're not only giving this huge chunk of real estate worth $300 million and $100 million of our tax money and infrastructure, so it's the decision to shut a hospital for long-term care disabled people and build a weapons lab. And you said that and Israel would be a billionaire. Yes, and Israel, the Israeli Institute of Technology, which provides the weapons uh, and the drones that Israel uses against Palestinian people, uses the giant earth movers and these robotic instruments against the Palestinian people, completely a, a, a weapons manufacturer um, and a weapons developer. I mean, they, they do research and development. Um, it's, it's stunning. It's stunning that this is what's put forth here in New York City, which now ranks uh, more than half the population counts as poor. Uh, and I'm sure the figures are even higher in Jersey City, uh, being mm. a resident of Jersey City. Um, you know what? You, you, you just dropped a bombshell really quickly that, that the fact that Israel is involved in that weapons uh, development building in New York, um, in you know, that, that it, it, Israel is involved with Mayor Bloomberg now, um, and how um, you know a couple of shows ago, <clears throat> I spoke about a a speaking um, that I went to of Ray Kelly's, and mm-hmm. he was um, adamant about telling everyone about how how uh, connected the NYPD is to Israel to the point where there is even an NYPD precinct within Israel. So there is a, a chapter of the NYP of the New York police, police Department within another country, and how how close they are and they work together. And now, um, now what you're saying with Mayor, Mayor Bloomberg also working with Israel for these weapons development programs and these buildings that they're they're using for that. It seems like New York is they're trying to make that just another extension of, of the of the of the Zionists from Israel. Well, that's very much what it's. Uh, well, it's very much what it's about because what is the role of Israel in terms of U.S. policy, in terms of Wall Street, in terms of Wall Street today? Well, they're uh, very influential. From the very beginning, there was, and it, it breaks at fifteen million dollars a day every day for the last sixty years. That's the amount of U.S. aid to Israel. Now, why is that? Um, by by leaders who were deeply anti-Semitic. It has nothing to do with the Holocaust. It has everything to do with the role that Israel plays in the Middle East, of having a U.S. base of support within the region, a, a U.S. equipped and monitored and dependent because Israel couldn't move one, not one week, not one day without that $15 million a day in U.S. aid. And along with that comes U.S. equipment and, you know, loans and credits and and all of that. Uh, It plays a very important role. 
because in a sense they have a militarized state which has repressed the Palestinian people and made war on all the surrounding countries. Egypt, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, and beyond into the Gulf states. Very important role that that Israel plays and has played uh, within the region for for decades. And, and, and now, and now Western, Western influence. And now they're threatening Iran, of course. Very uh, much so. I, I uh, ought to say a word about Gaza because um, the, the people of Gaza are, you know, a little more than a million people have been living. These are the refugees of uh, the creation of the state of Israel uh, and refugees living already desperately poor. But Gaza was completely walled off by the Israelis, completely. And then every form of trade cut off. Literally, the people would have starved. And what they did instead was build more than a thousand tunnels into Egypt. I mean, more than a thousand. It's quite an accomplishment. And through that come uh, food and supplies and medicine and gas, uh, except for the very limited amount that the UN provides for the Palestinians. A lot of the precious supplies that keep Gaza able to and determined to resist complete Israeli domination comes through these incredible tunnels that they've been able to dig uh, over the walls that surround and blockade them. And just in, a, in, in visits to Gaza, you can see this, uh, that despite the restrictions and the repression, uh, that determinations for the Palestinian people to have their own land and their own government, uh, this, this wall around Gaza uh, was so harshly imposed when the Israeli government didn't like the fact that there was a democratic election and Hamas, a, a political religious party, was overwhelmingly elected. And both the U.S. and Israel hated that election, even though it was in every form democratic, an effort to, to literally crush, bleed down, starve out the population. So the resistance to that is a resistance of the people determined to say we want to elect our own leaders, whoever it is, love them, hate them, but we stand by this election. Um, and that refusal to bow down, uh, you really have to respect. And the same things go on in the, in the West Bank also today, where even though villages have been isolated and everything destroyed and people walled off, they find incredible ways to resist in what are genuinely the ghettos of today. Um, Sarah, um, keeping okay. in... Keeping in the Middle East, um, mm -hmm. when I first met you many, many years mm -hmm. ago, um, when mm -hmm. I really had this, you know, super surge into the anti-war and peace movement, um, it, I met you at, during um, a few rallies, and it was an ad hoc group that was called the Coalition to Stop U.S. Intervention in the Middle East, and it was around 1990, 91, when U.S. was really going into into Iraq uh, over the Iraq 
Kuwait situation. And I met you and some other wonderful activists, Larry Holmes and, and uh, Teresa Gutierrez and uh, Monica right. Moorhead and yourself and, and Michael Kramer and so many others. And this organization evolved into what's now the International Action Center, which was founded by Ramsey Clark. Um, before we talk a little bit about the IAC, International Action Center, um, maybe you know you can talk a little bit about the beginning of of this um, organization uh, during in 1990. And I also would like our our listeners to remember that as we're talking to Sarah Flounders um, of the IAC. Um, I want our listeners to remember that Israel had attacked Iraq many years before. Uh, they had bombed a, uh, a nuclear capability, you know, nuclear power plant or, or some such in, in Iraq. So this is the same situation that we see now going on between Israel and Iran, where, you know, Iran is saying they, they want this uh, nuclear power for 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 power, uh, not not for you know any weapons, um, that may or may not be true. But, but the the point is, who has more nuclear weapons than any country on the face of the earth, the United States of America? Okay. So it's, it seems yeah. to to many people that um, you know the only thing that might help save them is you know to up their their ante, so to speak, and have the same kind of weapon that the U.S has and uh, you know it just creates all these monsters across the globe but anyway uh, if you could talk a little bit about the the uh, coalition to stop u.s intervention in the middle east the beginnings of that um and uh, and how it kind of transformed or morphed into the iac and and what's uh, what is the iac doing these days uh great actually that's a lot to put into a short thing but let me try because um the U.S. war against Iraq in 1991 is all but forgotten today, so I'm so glad you, you raised it up. And there was a huge movement against that war because the, the escalation, the mobilization of U.S. troops and sending hundreds of thousands of troops to encircle uh, Iraq back in 1990-1991 was in full bloom in that time. And there was deep opposition to the, what everyone knew was an impending war. The war was massively destructive. Iraq went from being the country with the highest literacy rate. Uh, actually, women held the highest status in Iraq. It was a secular government. Um, to today, having the lowest rate of literacy in the entire region the greatest level of poverty and violence, uh, internal violence, civil war, sectarian strife. Uh, but at any rate, you could see this war coming. There was a very powerful movement, and there was a coalition against U.S. intervention in the Middle East that played a big force in organizing these demonstrations, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in New York and Washington and local demonstrations. Uh, when the bombing ended, many people thought the war had ended. And really, the International Action Center was, was set up on the premise that the sanctions that had been imposed on Iraq, like the blockade against Cuba, 
that these were acts of continuing war that would have devastating impacts on the people of the region and lead to future wars. So uh, International Action Center was set up at that time saying that we need a center to build solidarity with people around the world and to make the link between racism here at home and ever-growing prison population with militarism and an ever-growing military. And as you say, today that integration between the police in New York City and in Israel shows it's so clear uh, how the wars, and, and during this whole time, the, the prison population in the U.S. has grown and grown and grown, and the, the, the future for our young people has actually declined. But the living standards are declining right now here in the U.S. because of this policy of endless war. So we've been very active over now more than two decades in mobilizing against war and showing the cost here at home and also linking to people around the world from the war, whether it's been against the people of Korea, where U.S. troops have been stationed for more than 60 years, or to Iraq. Um, or in Latin America, or in Africa, every one of these wars and big stationing of troops or firing drone missiles are massively destructive to the countries, and and uh, how do we show opposition here? So we set up to do not only street mobilizations, but could we, through the Internet, through video, through um, talking points, through publishing books, through organizing rallies, flyers, meetings, flyers educational programs. Um, how, how could we make a difference as an all-volunteer organization with very limited resources? And I will say it's been very interesting, uh, always a challenge just to keep going, just to pay rent on a modest office. Um, but we've managed to publish many books, make hundreds of videos, all kinds of programs. Of, of, which many, of which many you are the author of. You've, offered how, you've authored how many books? Well, 10 books with the International Action Center, and I, I have a new book um, that uh, isn't co-authored. I, I wrote the book called um, War Without Victory, which is really what U.S. wars are, uh, devastation. Um, and that that came out just this year. And uh, actually, people can just Google it, just look up War Without Victory, uh, and you see chapters and whatnot. But many of our books were on explaining the impact of these wars. Uh, war in Yugoslavia just destroyed whole parts of the country. The bombing, you know, uh, in Iraq, where we traveled many times because there were sanctions. And so we organized what were international acts of civil disobedience. We said, we're going to take basic medical supplies because they're prohibited um, to Iraq. And we involved lawyers and doctors and pharmacists and, and everyday working people, union activists, in these delegations to Iraq to bring basic supplies during the years of sanctions. Now, I will say, even during those years, we didn't think an even worse war uh, 
in 2003 based completely on a lie that Iraq had secretly built weapons of mass destruction. And it, as everyone now knows, none of that was true, not a line of it. But, but they nevertheless, again, convinced not the average person, but, but the Congress people who live on, on lobbying subsidies and, and uh, money from uh, the corporations right here, to, to support still another war. And, and the war in 2003, again, massive bombardment of Iraq, targeting shock and awe. Shock and awe. Right. What a brutal name that is. That means pounds so hard that people couldn't even think of resistance. And what they targeted in 1991, and they announced it, they publicized it, was the water supply, the food processing plants, refrigeration units, and pharmaceutical industry. And Iraq, everything factory. that's needed by civilians. Yes, the baby milk factory. That was one of the most incredible. Hospitals and schools were targeted. Bridges. Um, bridges. Bridges. The basic infrastructure and the electric grid. So you had a population with a very high standard of living suddenly reduced to drinking river water from the polluted river and leading to literally more than a million deaths of children under the age of five. Those were the United Nations' own figures. And then, and, we and, published books on that. And, and, uh, right, and then, and then you had these subsequent decades of sanctions that right. um, other mainstream, I would say more, you know, um, Democrat, liberal-led um, anti-war movements um, had endorsed, you know, this. I remember the slogan of, of this other major, you know, quote-unquote peace group um, at the time, uh, especially in 1990, and they, their slogan was, let the sanctions work. And I, I remember being appalled at that at the time because sanctions kill people. Right. It's a slow strangulation, but it still ultimately ends up in death. And as Madeleine Albright herself admitted to Leslie Stahl on 60 Minutes um, when confronted with the fact that 500,000 500, children, and you can see, anybody can see this on YouTube, under the age of, I believe it's seven, had been wow. killed due to sanctions. 500,000 mm -hmm. in maybe 12 years. I don't know how many years. This is the United Nations number. This isn't some you know, other organization. This is UN numbers. And even if it was three children that were killed, it's unacceptable. These are 500,000. Madeleine Albright says that she felt that it was worth the price. Now, can you imagine being in Iraq, being in, you know, anywhere in the Middle East, in Palestine, in, or anywhere in the world, you know, with, with uh, you know, compassion in a heart, and you hear this, this American representative saying, Yes, we think 500,000 dead children is worth the price of the war that the American uh, war makers wanted. I mean, that, to me, that's complete barbarity. It's exactly, it's exactly what it is, and it does lead to enormous hatred. It really, uh, and, and great uh, uh, determination to resist. U.S. domination. It, uh, and there's no, it, it's criminal on every count. See, that was 
a lot of what we've tried to do in the 80s of crimes against humanity. These are really war crimes, but it's a duty and obligation of everyone to resist in every form uh, that's possible. And so a lot of our organizing has been around that very idea, crimes against humanity that must be both exposed and opposed. Sarah, do you mind um, if I ask a little bit more mm-hmm. of, a, of a personal question? Um, I, yes, I know. Okay, I know in in our, you know, our organizational um, programs and, and and events and and uh, you know, teachings and speakouts and rallies, um, we we always have invited uh, you know people of faith, whether they're you know Muslim, you know imams, uh, you know very uh, there's a close association. Or, or you know, some other religious uh, figures, priests, and and, and uh, you know, rabbis have been involved. Um, if are you yourself a um, religious person? Do you do you you know follow any faith? Do you do you think that you know it's more of a of a, of a just a, this universal energy? I know it's a little bit of an esoteric question, and you know, but um, you know, is there any is there any you know kind of religious dogma that you you follow or you know are you more of a spiritual person um well i'm not a religious person no um and it has really been a question of how to build human solidarity for example with muslims when under attack because they're hated for their belief because there's a war underway but my own views i'm very strongly uh, a socialist and for secular society. I think it's important to have a scientific view and understanding of the world. And uh, and under, there's a lot that's not known, but it's important to understand uh, the human capacity to make change in positive and good directions and to build a world where, where everyone can, I mean, in terms of what I feel most deeply, uh, that everyone born on this planet has a right to the fullest life possible that the resources of the planet today could provide. I mean, we live in a time not of scarcity, but huge abundance. Uh, the U.S. alone produces enough food that would more than feed the world many times over. And 200 billionaires here in the U.S. are worth more than half the world combined. So you have huge gap between rich and poor, to me, that's out, outlandish, outrageous, unjust. Um, that's why I say I'm, I'm very much a socialist. I feel people should have the right to, um, to collectively both produce and share uh, what they produce. And the idea that it's expropriated by a handful and that the whole planet is set up for their benefit and not for all the people, uh, that to me is, is a huge injustice. It should be answered, it should be addressed. And uh, yeah, you, that's you not a religious point. belief, but, um, but it's for me a deeply held, it's what has motivated me over the years. And, um, and at the same time, I, I do strongly feel it's important to be respectful of, of people's beliefs and, and what motivates them uh, and that it's possible to build a new world 
uh, based on first respect, respect for life itself, because there's also a very destructive view uh, under capitalism. It's just let's maximize profit. And who cares what it does to all living beings? Uh, and so you have a, a very destructive view, uh, even toward all forms of animal life, toward the planet itself. And and now you have an environment that is completely out of whack, out of control, because no one is to blame. The only question is what makes the greatest level of profit, not what do we need. Uh, this it's one planet where, where we know there's life that we all could share, and there's let me ask you, certainly the abundance to do so. Yeah. Let me ask you one quick, one, one more quick question. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you are very strongly a socialist. What, what, what do you, yeah. what do you think about? Uh, cause I, I know we, we are Facebook friends too, and I, I know you have to see some of these images that are, that's floating around. Um, you know these these new things that they call memes, which are basically images with text on it, trying to uh, you know basically portray some sort of point that the press is trying to make. And there are some memes out there, some images with Obama um, being labeled a socialist. And, um, you know, in, in the image, he'll, he'll be doing something like really evil or something like Obama's a socialist. Like, how, how does that make you feel? Do you think that people have just lost uh, its meaning on, on what exactly the point of socialism is? Especially when they're saying well, of that course, Obama... Uh, right, right. And he's not, of course, he's not a socialist at all whatsoever. Um, and he himself knows that, and, and so does Wall Street know it. I mean, he is for what benefits corporate power in the U.S. And you couldn't be president. You wouldn't be vetted to be president, the Democratic mm-hmm. or Republican Party, unless that was your deeply held belief. But he makes that absolutely clear. Uh what does socialism mean? It means the right to share in all that's produced. And today, as I say, there's more than enough. This is huge, huge over, over surplus. Uh, the problem is distribution is based strictly on what is the most profitable way. And if people can't literally buy bread, buy medicines they need, uh, when you look at pharmaceuticals today, there's a whole movement against pharmaceutical companies because they can charge for a cancer cure, for HIV drugs, for all kinds of things, literally and, and of look, thousands of dollars. And look what happened in India just a few days right. ago. That, right. that enormous uh, sweatshop collapse. Yeah, yes, in, in, in Bangladesh, right. Where, I'm, I'm sorry, they Bangladesh. knew they, they had been warned, literally the owners had been warned, the building, there were inspectors there at the very time it came down, that the building was extremely dangerous. All the little um, stores on the first floor immediately moved out. But the owners, they had contracts they wanted to fill. They just ordered every worker back inside under fear of losing their job. And in the country where poverty is so great, uh, people were forced to take a risk and assured that there was no danger. Hundreds of lives lost. And that's not the first or only there was a fire there are also just recently hundreds of people killed in that fire, sweatshop fire. So the jobs here in the U.S. have been shipped overseas to where it's possible to pay $10 a week, uh, not $10 an hour, to 
workers who are desperate for any form of income in order to eat. And, and that is part of this criminal injustice. When I say everything is done for the benefit, you know, corporations can, can cross borders, but workers can't. Workers are told they're illegal, but it's not illegal to ship entire factories and our very jobs and, and future overseas uh, to pay the lowest possible wage. So you have whole cities in the U.S. that are literally been shutting down. I mean, what was once beautiful housing, just as, as in Detroit, uh, Cleveland, Gary, Indiana, just filed under uh, because they closed the plants, the plants left, and so the people had to leave. We're driven right. from their homes in the mortgage foreclosure. So there's huge injustices here that need to be addressed and always linked. The, the wars abroad come home. The policies here get exported overseas. It's, it's one world. That's what globalization is. But today it's globalization in the interest of the handful and not the billions who live in the world. And Sarah, on that note, we have about four minutes uh, remaining in the show. So just take a minute or so just to wrap up quickly. Um, any any final thoughts you'd like to put out there? I know May Day is Wednesday. If you'd like to replug the uh, event for May Day or anything you'd like I'd to say. I'd love to. Yes. Um, and, and, and anyone thank you for being who's a listening. Thank, thank oh, you for thank you so much. And, yeah. and thank you. Thank you, Eric and Miguel, for all that you do uh, in Jersey City and wider in terms of building a vibrant movement because you really do. Um, so May Day is really a, a very exciting day. I'd encourage everybody, just get on the train, the path, the subway, bus. Uh, it's Union Square, 14th Street in Manhattan. It's thousands of people, and it is a day to demand full rights, full legalization, full equality for all. Uh, and unions come out in force, all kinds of community groups, uh, and it really is wonderful. We're planning the following week on going down to Baltimore. There is a Poor People's March, and really based on the Martin Luther King, uh, on the anniversary of the Poor People's March 45 years ago, uh, going from Baltimore to D.C., and that's May 11th and 12th, and we're sending vans and cars to Baltimore. So uh, be in touch with us also if you want more information on that. We have a website. Um, one of the earliest political websites called IA Center. That's the International Action Center's website, iacenter.org. So look us up. Check us out on Facebook also. And uh, we have meetings all the time. Be in touch with us on that. Uh, there's a, a very much uh, a, a very important news website, workers.org. It has a lot of the alternative uh, coverage, a lot of links uh, to all kinds of videos, and that's another real source of information. Your program, really, I hope you give many plugs, uh, always interesting interviews um, about what people are doing and the change is possible and needed and the only, mm -hmm. the only possibility if we're going to have a future world. The future is ours if we fight for it. Very quickly, what what time uh, around will oh, the May Day events start? Because yes. uh, I, I plan on being there as, as well. I'm, I'm definitely going to be there. Uh, so okay. I want to know what time to go. I, okay. I, I don't, I don't yes. Know, so. Well, we're there with music and program from noon on. 
mm-hmm. but the the big part of the program begins at 4 p.m. and the march out down the city hall because there's so many unions that that have unsigned contracts from the Bloomberg administration is at five o'clock. We march at five o'clock from Union Square down to City Hall. Uh, there's on the way down. There's a rally in front of uh, 26 Federal Plaza, holding center for so many immigrants and uh, a center of uh, the Injustice Department and uh, police networks and and so on. So and so there's activities all day long. Folks can uh, check out May 1.info for any of the concrete information that uh, you want on, on May Day. But I would say any time from noon on, it's going to be a beautiful uh, day. Uh, come and join uh, the celebration and the demonstration. It's both, and that's what every demonstration should be, too, an, an affirmation that life and resistance are possible. Thank you, Sarah, Thank you. for being a great Thank guest. You for the information. Thank you both, and see you May Day and in the struggles ahead. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Right, Sarah. Solidarity. Thank right. you. Bye-bye. Have a good night. Good Bye-bye. night. Thanks again. All right, once again, another great great uh, interview with a very great person, our, our good friend, uh, Sarah Flounders. Um, she's She is out in the the trenches, seriously, I've, I've gone to events that she's organized in the past, a number of them, a lot of people there, a lot of uh, people in support, um, and I recommend that if you have any feeling towards any change for the better in the world, you have to get out into the streets and get out with like-minded, like-minded individuals. It's a great feeling for, you know, it's like an uplifting experience, especially when you go to something like this May 1st coalition um, event, May Day for the immigrants and and, uh, the unions and the other organizations that show up there just to march alongside with them, just to show support. It's a a great feeling to, to, to be in that environment with those type of people it makes you really believe that change can really come. And I'm convinced of it. You know, I'm, I'm one of those individuals that I definitely believe that change will, will come. It's inevitable. We need to make sure that it's for the better. And, you know, with, with that being said, I'd like to thank Sarah Flounders for coming on to the show. You're amazing. You're incredible. You're a great person. Uh, I love all the, the great work that you do. And hopefully we'll have her on the show again in the future. Absolutely. Um, I'd like to I'd like to thank you, of course, Eric. Any any closing statements before we get out of here? Thank you, Miguel. Thank you for engineering the show. Thank you, Sarah Flounders. And I'd like all the listeners to know that upcoming we will be having very soon on this show Cynthia McKinney, former Congresswoman and former United States presidential candidate. All right, ladies and gents, good night. In front of the cameras, we all hate each other. Behind the scenes, it's a business. 
Never say we're going into a revolution. We're in the revolution. Now the question is, who's going to win? We'll let them do. They know just how much latitude their department gives them on abusing citizens. They do it because they know they can. They do it because they know, they know they will get away with it. More Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.